Now, what I plan to do for uh, eight weeks, not in succession because I won't be here all of those weeks, um, but I'm going to preach uh, a series that I've taught for 20 years to missionaries called Living in Grace. It won't exactly be that course because there's no way you can jam that course into a worship service, uh, but it will be the subjects, eight of them. And the first one is, as you can see, uh, um, is uh, the gospel, the message of grace. And, and I've got to tell you that I had a hard time picking a text uh, for the gospel because the whole Bible is about the gospel if you don't know it. Um, there was a man named Voss who wrote a book uh, called Biblical Theology years ago, uh, but it's a very important book. And what he taught in that book is there is just one message in the Bible, the gospel. There's only one main character in the Bible, and that's Jesus. And so from Genesis to Revelations, that is really what you're studying. And, uh, you know, we're reminded of that over in, in, um, in Luke, um, when, uh, when uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples. You remember uh, after the uh, resurrection, he's talking uh, to two men that are going to Emmaus, and he pulls up alongside of them, and they don't know who he is. We're not really sure why they were so blinded, but they don't know who he was. Uh, uh, and so uh, he is talking to them, and then he, it says this in Luke 24, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now I would remind you, there was no New Testament at that time. So it's only talking about the Old Testament, and yet it says in the Scriptures that Jesus could take the whole Old Testament and he could teach them beginning with, that's the Pentateuch, you know, the first five books of the Bible, Moses, and then the rest of the prophets, and he could take all of them and he could show uh, himself and what his gospel is uh, just using the Old Testament all by itself. So... The, uh, the text that I have chosen, it's one of my favorites. In fact, uh, and this is the truth, in, in some of my devotional reading this week, I ran into this passage twice. Uh, other people uh, just talking about it as well. But the passage that you see listed in uh, your bulletin is from Romans 5, uh, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us, in that while we were, yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us respond to the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, as I said, I had a very difficult time uh, uh, choosing a passage uh, for the gospel because I think I could have picked a hundred of them. Uh, but the gospel itself is, is, is so fantastic. Uh, maybe because we've heard it so often, uh, we have become just a little bit dulled at what a magnificent thing the gospel really is. There really is nothing as beautiful. There's nothing as logic-defying. Uh, uh, there is nothing as amazing as the gospel. One of the reasons that I believe the gospel is, I don't think anybody that is any human being, any man or woman, could invent the gospel. It's just too great. It, it's too beyond the way we actually think. Um, it shows us God in a way that we would never, ever have dreamed possible ourselves. You know, if you're going to have a gospel, you've got to have a trinity. That in itself is difficult to understand. But you've got to have a father who planned it before the foundation of the world. You've got to have a son that's willing to go and accomplish that which God planned. And then you've got to have a Holy Spirit that can take that gospel and apply it to our lives. So that, in fact, it makes a difference. So that the gospel has the impact that it is supposed to have in your life and in my life. You've got to have a covenant God if you're going to have the gospel. A covenant God who makes a promise and keeps that promise no matter what. In fact, he is willing to come into this world. And that's what we've just celebrated right with Christmas. And he's willing to come into this world as a baby, that is to take on flesh and blood like us so that he can die in our place. He takes his own wrath upon himself. You've got to have that kind of covenant God if you're going to have a gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, how great the gospel is? A lot of things just have to come together that we would never even think about to have the message of the gospel that we have. You know, the word gospel is, a, is actually a Greek word. It's a compound word, which means good news. But, you know, not good news like, like we think about it. It's really good, good news. Exuberant proclamation might be a better way to explain it. It's the kind of news that you would get if a new king had risen to the throne or if a war that had been going on for a long time had finally come uh, to a close. That's the kind of good news that this word really was used most of the time uh, when it was used in the Greek world. So when the writers of the scriptures capture that word, that's what they're saying. They're saying that there is a message that has come into this world that is so great um, that it, it, uh, it just defies everything that we could ever think about the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is that gospel? First of all, in our text, we see that it's a message of salvation. Therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, last uh, week we, we uh, talked about the peace of God, and we said that that peace of God is not international peace, not political peace, it is peace between rebels 
and the God who has come to save them. That's the kind of peace that the gospel is talking about. And we need to understand that what the gospel talks about when it talks about peace, it's not natural. It's not the way you and I would think. If we're going to get right with God, you and I would think we've got to do something. We've got to accomplish something. We have got to at least get ourselves up to a minimum standard by which God would find us acceptable. Surely we have to do something. And this idea that you don't do anything is maybe the greatest offense uh, the gospel has. Men and women don't like to hear that message. They put it out of their minds. They run from it. The idea that Christ comes to save me and there is nothing I can do except, as you see in this verse right here, justified by faith. You see that? Justified by faith. That's the key. That's the key. When Luther nailed those 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg in 1517, that was the word he was thinking about. That was the thing that made everything different from what he had believed up to that point. He believed in justification, even by grace. He'd been taught that in seminary. He knew that well. What he hadn't been taught was the only way you can receive that grace is by faith. Empty hands, empty hands that hold out, willing to receive what you cannot earn yourself. Uh, Brennan Manning, in, in a book, uh, entitled uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. He's got an illustration there I like. I hope it doesn't uh, bother you, but uh, it's about a monk up in Germany. I don't have to tell you that. Monk is Luther, right? And he's rummaging around in an old medieval uh, uh, wine cellar. And he finds a bottle of wine that's 500 years old. Now, that's because that's how long the Dark Ages lasted, 500 years. So he finds an old bottle of uh, wine 500 years old and when he examines it it's a strange kind of wine because it's not 25 proof it's 200 proof now 200 proof means 100% you see what Brendan Manning was trying to say you can't add anything to the gospel you add anything to the gospel and you dilute the gospel it's a free gift of grace that God gives us Look at, or listen to Luther's very words in his introduction to, uh, to Galatians. Do we have to do nothing at all for the obtaining of this righteousness? I will answer, nothing at all. For this is perfect righteousness to do nothing, to hear nothing, to know nothing of the law or of works, but to know and to believe this only, that Jesus Christ has gone to the Father, not as judge, but as our high priest. No, nothing, he says. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying what Hebrews says, that we have a great high priest, and that great high priest came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That great high priest who lives in the Holy of Holies, he doesn't go like the Old Testament high priest once a year into the Holy of Holies, but he lives in the Holy of Holies in the very presence of God the Father. And he comes not with the blood of lambs and goats, but he comes with his own blood. He's both the high priest and the sacrifice all in one. This is the confidence 
that we have, that we live in the presence of the love of the Father because of what His Son has done for us. And because of that, everything is different in our lives. In fact, Paul drives home this idea that we can do nothing. In verse 8, as I read it already, but God showed his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There it is. That puts a nail in it, doesn't it? Christ died for us. He did everything we need when, before we even began to respond to him, before we in any way laid down our arms of rebellion against him. It's all of Christ. What do we bring to the gospel? Our need. Our sin, that's all we bring. There's nothing else that we can bring. I remember one day I was, had the doorbell rang and I went and it was two young men all dressed up just like I am, uh, Mormon boys. And they wanted to tell me about Mormonism, so I listened. And when they got done, I said, let me tell you about my gospel. And I took them to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I said, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. No works lest any man should boast. Oh, they said, we could never believe in a gospel like that. My goodness, I mean, you just could go out and do anything you want then. I mean, that's going to lead to license. I said, well, what do you believe? Well, we believe that God has to do a lot to save us, but we've got to do a lot as well. It's kind of a 50-50 thing. We re- God reaches down to us, and we reach up to Him. I said, ooh, I like my gospel a lot better than your gospel. <laughs> Why? Well, I'm not worried about God's reach, but I would be very, very concerned about my reach. You see, that's the good news God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Tripp, in one of his devotionals, puts it this way. The gospel is divine intervention, divine substitution, divine sacrifice, and divine grace. Christ came to live the life we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to take the punishment that belonged to us, rise from the grave, and conquer sin and death. That's the gospel. Can you embrace that? Can you fall in love with Jesus all over again when you just think about what he's done for you? Even as you begin a new year? Now, I ask this question. Does this sort of open up the door to license? Is there really a danger in a gospel like this? And I would say, like Luther, no, no, no. Not at all. I mean, look, I'm an old man now. I've been preaching a long time. I have never, ever run into anybody who understood what Jesus Christ had done for them, just what I've been talking about, and, and, and they had accepted Christ by faith into their hearts, and they said, all right, you see, now that I'm saved, I can go out and do anything I want. I just go out, and I think I'll live a riotous life. I've never met anyone like that. When people understand the gospel, when it really comes into their life and takes over their life, it produces obedience. It produces a life uh, lived by grace. Uh, where Where their lives, everything they think, everything they feel, everything they do 
is controlled by what Jesus Christ has done for them. You want to please God more than anything else if you're captured by the gospel. I know that many of you have at least seen the movie Les Mis. Probably not many of you read the book. I tried one time. Uh, well, it's a rather long book, you know, but it's a great story. And I'm just going to, you know, just give a snippet right here. But, you know, Jean, Jean Valjean, he's, he's the hero in the, in the book, and, and he's a peasant. He's been put in prison because he stole a loaf of bread to feed his sister's children. He's been there nine years, now he's out, and he goes, and, and he's hungry, he's wet, and a priest sees him and takes him in uh, to, to the rectory and uh, feeds him, gives him a warm place to, to sleep, but in the middle of the night, John Valjean gets up and he steals the silver. And he takes off, and the policeman, the one uh, Javert, um, he, uh, he captures him and brings him back to the priest, and, and the priest said, oh, oh, I gave him that silver. And by the way, here's some more. And, and, and that just infuriates uh, Javert, um, he wants to put this man back in jail in the worst way. But off Valjean goes, and, and he lives a, whole, a different life. He's a totally different man. The, the grace that he received from the priest just changes the way he thinks. And, and, he, and he becomes a very successful man. And, and uh, the story gets pretty complicated, so uh, we won't go into that. But the point I'm trying to make is, what was Victor Hugo trying to say? Grace changes the way you think and the way you live. Now, he was talking about human grace, a man who would save another person from going to jail. But the grace that we have received is grace from the Lord Jesus Christ that keeps us from going to hell. Praise God that we don't get what we deserve any more than uh, Valjean did. Um, Charles Wesley, when he was converted, uh, wrote a hymn, and uh, it's a hymn that I like a lot. This is his conversion hymn. Uh, it's the title of it is, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? That's a question. Can I gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angels' minds inquire no more. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And then this text teaches us this, that when you get the gospel, and you get the gospel in your life, it is the power of God. This is not just theology that we're studying here. Uh, This is not just an idea. What we're looking at right now is the power of God to come into your life and to change everything about you. You see, as it says here in the text, Verse 2, though we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice that, in which we stand. It's our foundation. 
and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Know that in suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The gospel changes your character and gives you hope to live by. You know, when Paul was writing this uh, very book, uh, and he was just beginning uh, in chapter 1, uh, he's talking about the gospel over there, and he says in, in uh, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also t- to the Greek. Now, do you experience the power of the gospel in your life? Does it change anything? Let's take the idea of suffering. You know, suffering is nothing that we look for. You don't pray for suffering. You're not happy when you suffer. But the text is saying that God takes your suffering and even uses that to mold you and shape you. It's gospel molding and gospel shaping of your life. Why? So that you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It produces character. What kind of character? The character that looks like the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel changes us from the inside out, and that's the kind of changing that we need. Anger can become love. Hurt can become rejoicing. Disappointments can become thanksgiving. Insecurities can become confidence. Yes, really. The gospel can do that in your life. And there's a secret. And the secret to it is that the gospel is not, as I've said, an idea. It's not a philosophy. Again, if you look at the text, the gospel has a name. Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel comes to us in a person. And that person who took our penalty, suffered on the cross for us, died, buried, resurrected, now is our advocate in heaven. That same Christ comes and lives in your life. It says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith. And then down in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. You see, remember I said it takes a trinity. You've got to have a father who would plan it. And you have to have a son who would accomplish it. But you have to have a Holy Spirit that would apply it. And the Holy Spirit actually brings Jesus Christ to us. And brings him internally into our lives. We've just celebrated how Christ came into this world. This morning as we're looking at this text. We're really celebrating how Christ comes into our lives. You know how many times the word in Christ is used in the New Testament? It's just under 100 times. This union with Christ is not a strange concept in the Bible and in the New Testament. Especially, it really was the heart of everything that Paul thought and everything that Paul taught. Um, I want to know Christ uh, and him crucified. Uh, that, is, that was the, 
the heart of everything that Paul thought and everything that he taught. And when you read this fifth verse right here where it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts. That word poured is a powerful word. Uh, it, I think if, if it was really a fountain, it would drown you. It would be more like a tsunami. If it was a dump truck, it would bury you. That's the kind of word that's right there. An old Puritan prayer, I think, puts it well. If Christ is what you seek, sin will lose its allure. Opposition won't terrify you. Roadblocks won't frustrate you. And failures won't discourage you. That's the secret. The secret that we're talking about, the secret of the gospel, is that the gospel is a person that comes to inhabit your life, to take control of your life. Uh, you've probably figured out by now I've got a lot of heroes that have been missionaries uh, through history, and one of my favorites is Helen Rosevere. I first heard her speak back in the uh, uh, 19, uh, I think it was early 70s actually, uh, at the famous Urbana Conference that happens every three years, right at this time, Christmas time. And uh, Helen Rosevere came and gave her testimony there. It was a powerful testimony. I mean, Billy Graham was speaking, and and uh, um, uh, Eric Alexander. You would be impressed if I could speak like Eric Ale- Alexander. Um, but Helen Rosevere is the person that captured the, the hearts of those college kids uh, that day as she told her story. And the story was something. I mean, she had been a missionary in the Congo. Uh, she had built a, a hospital at a place called Nibo Bongo. And uh, then there was a uh, Revolution and the rebels came, captured the, the people at the hospital. They put them into a, a kind of a prison like that and then they beat them. And uh, I won't say any more because it's, too, it's just too bad to talk about, but you know what men do to women and that kind of thing. And she said, I felt like God had abandoned me. He had utterly failed me. But then... In my darkness and despair, God came to me. He met me with open arms of love. Unbelievable experience. I can't tell you what it was like. His comfort was so complete that suddenly I knew. Suddenly I really knew that the love of Jesus was utterly sufficient. Utterly sufficient. What a testimony. But that's the gospel. You see, that's the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Um, let me give a personal example because I want you to believe that if the gospel is working in your life, you're going to be different. Uh, this Christmas, we were going to have a family celebration and, and uh, the plans were made and, and I didn't like the plans. I, I didn't think they were going to work. The logistics just weren't the way it should be. And I had a way, you know how you think about how it's always going to be so wonderful anyhow. And uh, so I, I, I became a little difficult. Uh, and uh, Sandy got into my face and said, uh, Paul, you need an attitude adjustment. <laughs> now, what she was doing, she was speaking the gospel to me. And I saw it right away. 
So I called up the people that I was dealing with and I said, look, we'll do it your way. We'll do it your way. I'd be happy with that. To which they say, no, we've been thinking about it and we like your way better than our way. <laughs> yeah, I do think my way was better. But my attitude was not. But what can change your attitude? What can change the way you approach people in the way... It's the gospel. When you let the gospel, as Jonathan Edwards said, filter down into the cracks and crevices of your life, that's what will change you. And frankly, I think that's the only thing that really changes people. Look, I have a doctor's degree in psychology. I started a very large uh, counseling program at a seminary. And counseling can do a lot for you. It can help you to see where you're at and maybe what your problems are and so on. I used to say, you know, that counseling can tell you what your problem is, but most people know what it is. And counseling can tell you what you ought to do, but most people know what they should have done a long time ago. But they can't do it. Because they need to be changed on the inside. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. That's what we read here in this text. I'm going to close with my favorite illustration. Um, and uh, to me, it gets the gospel. I call it the baby and the bum. It's supposed to be a true story. Years ago, it appeared in Christianity Today. It's a story about a young couple with two young children going on Christmas Day to visit family from San Francisco to Los Angeles. They got a late start on Sunday morning, and now they're in the big valley, you know, where all the vegetables are growing. They pull off at noon to get some lunch at King City, and they go into a restaurant, and I suppose because it's Christmas Day, there's nobody in the restaurant. They take their youngest and put their youngest in a high chair, and then they take their oldest and put the oldest in a, in a um, booster, and, and, and then they, they order their food. But just about the time the food came, the baby makes eye contact with something. Well, it's a person over in the corner. It's a bum. You know, ragged clothes, greasy hair, rotten teeth, a street person, a bum. And the baby begins to make uh, fellowship with the bum. Uh, the, the bum says, a patty cake and, and the baby goes like this and the bum says peekaboo and the baby goes like that and the lady finally says to her husband I'm not hungry anymore let's get out of here so um, he says great uh, you get the kids and go to the car I'll pay the bill and uh, she takes the youngest out of the high chair and then she takes the oldest out of the booster and before she can turn around the baby made a beeline for the bum and now the bum has the baby up in his arms. And he's hung it on the baby and he's kissing on the baby. And she says, I look over there and all I can think about is germs. So I run over there to get my baby, but the, baby, but the bum won't let go. And finally, though, he reaches up and he hands me my baby and he says, Ma'am, I want to thank you for letting your baby love me because today is Christmas. And nobody loves me. She said, when I got to the car, my husband couldn't figure out what had happened to me. Because in that moment, on Christmas Day, I realized I was the bum. 
I was the bum. And Jesus let his baby die for me. That's the gospel. That's what we're talking about. That's what will change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Again, as we've already said, it's so powerful. And in many ways, such a surprise. Such a surprise that our God, the God of all creation, would come into this world, take on our nature, flesh and blood, for the simple reason that you could live a perfect life and then die a perfect death so that we could be adopted and made your children. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We pray that it might, even in this new year, be the central aspect of all that we do and all that we think and all that we feel. But help us through this year to remember, yeah, we're the bums. And you let Jesus die for us. Thank you. We praise you in his name. Amen.